Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living a Life Through Books, the podcast about everything bookish. I'm your host, Dr. Shanaz Ahmed, and today we have author conversations, and I have Erica Montgomery, the author of A Summer to Remember. But before I continue, I wanted to say that your support of my podcast means a lot to me. The easiest way is to buy me a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash LLTB podcast. Every coffee you buy me helps keep me alert and this podcast going. I'll add the link in the show notes and I thank you. One more thing. I want to talk a bit about a great audiobook app, Libro.fm. Let's you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. Choose from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of this podcast can get two books for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter code L-L-T-B podcast. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'll add the link in the show notes. And now, pull up a seat, sit back, relax, and enjoy Erica Montgomery the author of A Summer to Remember in our author conversations. Erica, welcome to the Living a Life Through Books podcast. Exciting to have you here. You wrote a book, A Summer to Remember, is that right? Yes, that is that is correct. A Summer to Remember, and it's so great to be here with you. Yay, tell me about your book. Tell me just... Tell me everything. <laughs> You're like, what? Oh boy. And we have, how long do we have? How long? Do we- well, let's, let's just see how long <laughs> we'll we have. Let's start with just, the book, right? Let's we'll start, start with, with the, the book. book. Yes, please. <laughs> so as, as is often the way with, with writing books and stories in general, the sort of evolution of this story was probably over, I would say four years in the making. And it, it started from a seed of an idea, which is what happens if someone finds a letter a sealed letter that has never been opened and never delivered, more importantly. And what would sort of hypothetically, because a lot of my stories start with a question. Okay. What would somebody do if this happened? And that's where this story came about. This idea of somebody acquiring a, a, a very personal piece of information that had not been delivered to somebody. And what would they do with that? How would that change the, the course of their life? So with that initial idea came ultimately the story of a summer to remember, which is somewhat uh, somewhat like that in, in sort of its start. But essentially the, the story that I wrote and the story it came to be was uh, of a young woman, Frankie is her name. And when we meet her at the beginning of the story, she is still operating the memorabilia, Hollywood memorabilia store that she opened with her mother. Right. And she has just recently lost her mother. So she's in a, in a place of, of uh, really memories are, are very significant to her. And the whole idea of memorabilia is more significant than ever. But she happens to come across a, a picture of her mother when she was much younger with a very famous Hollywood actor. And the picture was taken the year before Frankie was born. And Frankie doesn't know who has never known who her birth father was. So that sets her on this journey to discover who she, what the, the journey she thinks she's starting is to find out who her father is. So she travels from Hollywood to the East Coast to Cape Cod, which is a, a place I, I love very, very much. I love Hollywood too, but love Cape Cod. And she goes to Cape Cod to, to find answers to this, the puzzle of this, the mystery of this photograph, and ends up learning quite a bit about this secret season of her mother's life 
on Cape Cod with a very famous Hollywood couple that Frankie never knew anything about. So it's it's a little bit of mystery. It's a it's certainly a story of how we define home, how we define family, and there's a, a bit of romance in there as well. Yes. So four years from when you started off with the idea. So here you are with this idea about this envelope and then you came home and what did you do? Open up a notebook and write? What did you do? Open up your computer and just say, all right, once upon a time. I mean, that's not how your book starts. I mean, I'm just, you know. Sure. And, and, and this is what I, I really, really love talking about process. That's that. Talk about one of the things that I can can geek out about. Okay. Um, Let's I geek love, out I about love, process. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, I, I, because as you, as you know, every process is different, no matter what your, your craft is. And in terms of story, I always, I've, I'm always amazed at how different every, every writer's process is in terms of how that story gets built. So for me, I do a lot of the story building through subsequent drafts. So in terms of how I start, it will be with this idea of whether it's a scene or a character, and then I just start drafting. So I don't write longhand unless it's just some note that I get in the middle of the night and I wake up and I'm like, just where, where, where can I write? I need to write this down somewhere. Or, I'm, I'm, or maybe I'm stopped at traffic and that's why my purse is a mess because I need all those receipts. Because where else am I going to write all those ideas? Of course, right? that's what the receipts are for. They're for story ideas. What Thank else you. are they for? Exactly. Same with napkins. Does anyone really use them to what? I mean, no, they're for writing and drawing and sketching. Absolutely. Um, I agree with you. I have napkins all over the place and, and receipts. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Thank, thank you. Yes. You, you get it. You get it. Yes. Um, so then I will start to build the story, build the characters and like I said, it, it happens over many, many drafts. And very often what I will do is write the first 50 pages, maybe 12 times. I know that that sounds crazy, but I'll hit 50, I'll hit 50 pages for whatever reason. That seems to be this like magic number. And I think, okay, I need to revisit this. This isn't, this isn't going where I need it to go. So I think really what I'm trying to say is I have possibly one of the most inefficient processes <laughs> of, of, hey, of no. the writing world. You know what? What works for you is what works for you. If it's efficient for you, it's an efficient process. That's the way I look at it. I don't care, you know, if you're going to write the first page a million times, but then the book, the rest of the book is perfect. Hey, that's your process. But here's my question. When you say 50 pages, are we talking 50 Microsoft Word pages? Are we talking 50 book pages? Because you know how Microsoft Word I think one page of Times New Roman Microsoft Word translates to about two-ish. Exactly. About two, I think it's, isn't it maybe 250 about there? About 250. So really maybe a better thing to, a better way to measure it would be to say about 20,000 words. How about that? And 20,000 words. Okay. So it, it, a pretty, I mean, it can be anywhere between 10,000 and 20,000 words, but I really get pretty deep into the story and then find myself going back to revisit it because I may have some sort of epiphany of, of a character's decision or journey. But in the case of A Summer to Remember, it definitely went through probably five or six or even seven significant revision drafts. So like I finished the full draft, came back and really kind of blew it up. And But in terms of the core characters and the core elements, they stayed. I see it as this remarkable revision in terms of how different it seemed from when I started versus what the final product was. But it all seems very, in my mind, it's very organic. It, it all, the, all of those editorial notes that before it even went to my wonderful editor, it was also, I was working on it with my uh, wonderful agent and she has incredible editorial skills. So we, we really worked through it a lot. And then of course, when I work with my editor, uh, she and I have a wonderful, had a wonderful experience of sort of digging, not sort of, but digging deep into the story and changing it, you know, deepening it even more. So, but it is always, it is such a funny thing to look back at. And this is one of the things I always joke about is I'm not, I love to purge physical stuff from my house. Like I'd love to live in a, in a tiny house. I don't want a lot of physical things, but I am a word hoarder. So I struggle to throw away those chunks of words. And I keep these files of all of these 
you know, paragraphs that were all oh, these great lines as if I'm going to use them again. And I don't know, I mean, I guess maybe someday, but I struggle to sort of delete them. So sometimes I'll go back and revisit them and think, oh, that was going to work somewhere. Huh. Or it's like, let's take this and make it work. Jam it in. Nope, That's not in the right. first chapter. I'm going to jam it in the second chapter. I I'm going to so help me, God. The <laughs> sentence is going to be in this book. <laughs> you will have a home in this book by God. Right? Exactly. That's right. And sure enough, it's and, and it's it's amazing how you you know you have that kind of attitude, and then and then I look at them and I think yes, and and and. and I actually teach creative writing to uh, high school students and high, high schoolers are, well, younger people are, are especially wonderful when talking about the craft of writing because they, I feel like as we get older and maybe you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't feel this way. I, I know for myself, I, I think as we get older, we just think, well, we, we just know things. We don't need to be taught things. We know things, right? Whereas younger people are, especially with writing, they're just what, you know, that sounds like a great idea. Here's what I could do. They're not, they're not as, um, their work isn't as precious, which I think is a wonderful thing because then they can see how they can make things richer and they can go in this direction or this, this direction. So, oh, I apologize. I have no idea where I was going with that. Where was I going to go with that? Talking about creative writing and holding on to the words. Yes. Thank you. That's forcing words. Thank you. That's exactly what I was, where I was going with that, that I think I struggle with that the longer I write. And it's, so it's wonderful to see that when I teach younger, younger students, younger writers, they just say, oh, you know what, eh, we can get rid of that. That's great. We'll try this instead. And that inspires me because I, I struggle to do that. So that's so you're a going. teacher by profession. Uh, I'm a writer by profession. I recently started teaching just a couple of years ago and and that's been um so i i i've been learning on on the job i'm married to a, a teacher and he's been a wonderful source of uh inspiration and, and guidance because um you know teaching is last year was especially challenging as i'm sure you can imagine you know for well yeah lots of reasons yeah. there, there's and, something called uh covid or something i yeah I this something yeah, I, like that right i heard something about it <laughs> i yeah. know it's, it's been you know here and there i've been hearing things about it. but yes and and of course i think um in terms of of creative writing and and um and writing in general it's 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 such a deeply personal activity and process so that's i always feel very privileged to be a part of that journey whether it's somebody who's, who's a young writer or even somebody who's who's read or, or even I feel like even when I read books, you, you feel that way as well. You're, you're really getting this kind of insight, whether it's fiction or not, it's still, that came from a pretty personal place, I always feel like. Right. Now, where did the research come from? Because so, you're talking so much Hollywood and Hollywood memorabilia. You're getting into an actor's psyche. You know, there's a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on there. Well, I, my, one of my husband's jokes is always that my insane knowledge of movies, I'm a movie freak. I love movies. So he always jokes that like, that's my superpower that I can, I can summon all of these movie facts. And I've always watched movies and I could tell you who was in who and what was it. So that part, that part of the research was actually very, um, between the, the two of us, that was, that was not very hard. There was not much involved in that. Uh-huh. Um, but I love that you raised the point of the sort of the psyche of the actor as very much so that, that is really where I think I did have to do more research. And then in terms of the memorabilia world, I definitely did a great deal of research on that because I I started this book with this idea that there would be this expectation that memorabilia was still very much something that was done from the storefront, as opposed to learning that it's, it's moved online now, most of it, you know, it's all these auctions are online and there isn't that same sort of personal experience with uh, artifacts and, and um, collectors as I expected. So that's why research is such a wild thing because you come into it from the you know place of oh i i i think i know what this is going to look like and i'm just going to do the research to sort of flesh it out and then you you know you you find yourself saying oh wow i completely had no idea how this works i'm so glad i did the research <laughs> right I'm so glad I did that so so that element i needed a fair amount of research in that one of the characters is a well, the love interest is a boat builder and a boat restorer and a sailor. And then I had very 
I wouldn't even say little knowledge. I had, I had no knowledge of how to sail a sailboat. So I had to learn a little bit there as well. So there was, there was a fair amount of research. Right. I mean, especially sailing and all that's a whole. Yes. Yes. And not the sort of thing that, um, you know, I, I still don't feel that I would be comfortable if someone were to say, okay, so you've, you've done a fair amount of research. So here's a boat. I'll see you in a week on the other end. <laughs> I, I wouldn't No, thank you. Uh, no, that's like, you know, I don't know that that's like me saying, this is how you prep a cavity and here you go. Do a cavity filling and fill it and look, you're fine. Just, exactly. here you go. Just, just, just read follow it the directions. Exactly. Just, yeah. Follow the directions. Exactly. <laughs> I tried sailing once in my life. Oh, good for you. We, how, how did you do? Did you like it? Uh, I, you know, I've always wanted to learn sailing. This was like, I want to learn sailing. I wanted to take a course in sailing and really learn the principle of it and all of that. So I was on vacation with my dad and mom in San Diego and we went on a sail trip. But not just us, we had a sail, someone there who could, you know, show me how to sail a little bit, just for two, three hours. I came back and I decided this was absolutely not for me. Absolutely not. Because it, here's the thing. It takes a lot of strength, physical strength. So you've got this uh, toggle uh, handle, right? Right. You've got to right. rotate it and you've got to turn it to tighten the sails or move the sails here or there. And so the guy, the sailor is like, okay, what we need to do is move the sail up and do this. I said, okay, fine, no problem. He's like, just turn it clockwise. Got my hand on the handle. He's like, turn it. I am not moving. (laughs) I am, it's not moving. It's not moving, it's stuck. He comes along, turns around and it's done. And I fig- figured out that you need to start weight training first. Once you start weight training and increase your, I guess, your muscles and whatever else, however long that takes you, then let's talk about sailing. Yes. Yeah. And the, that, good it- news, the good news is you don't need weight training to write a book. <laughs> right? That is very true. You do not, but you, you know, you raise a really good point, which is that, okay, so in the process of research, if you have a character, that's, that's this whole other wonderful layer that you don't think about. You're right, like, okay, so I have the character. I know she, ha- she or he has to, to turn the winch or, or, what, or whatever it was, call, it was called, but it's not enough to, know, you know, then you think, okay, well, unless you've, been, you've done it and you know it's taking this ridic- amazing amount of strength, so then you start to think, okay, that, so that's this other whole layer of research. And I think it's so tempting when we do research nowadays as writers, because we think we can access so much information over the internet and, you know, we, we have Google Earth, so we can even physically see a space. But like you were saying about your experience with sailing, there's also, there are some things, still a lot of things that we can't really research fully through the internet. So that's a perfect example of that. And as a writer, I think as writers, it's, it's, it's very tempting because there's, there's, you've heard the whole, like, write what you know, versus write what you, you know, I think there is some truth to, to writing what you know, not always, but in terms of setting, whether it's a, a profession or a hobby, to your point that there are, there are all of these nuances to it that you can't always be sure about. You know, the, there. the other thing is, I was writing a book way back when, okay? It's a long story, but to shrink it up, I was writing a book. I got to about 75% of the book and then I didn't get back to that book. And then now I'm working on a different book. So I'm kind of working with the writing process. I, I have not published anything. However, I want to tell you about the very first book I wrote, didn't finish, 75%. Did a lot of research, okay? Because we were talking about child abuse I was in Indiana at that time. I had to call Child Protection Services. Now, I got this entire, they were so kind in Indiana, sent me their entire booklet 
their child protection services handbook. I don't know where it is right now. I moved, I'm in St. Louis now, but anyway, I have, I had this entire handbook. I also spent an hour talking to the child protection services lawyer. I don't even know how, but I was talking to this lawyer for free for an hour about the legal elements of child abuse and termination of parental rights, all of this. So here I am writing, okay? So there's research, there's stacks of research at that time. And here's Shanaz on a computer writing. And part of me felt, I don't know if you felt this way or like whenever I read a book, I can see it. And that is, oh my gosh, I've done all this research. I am so help me God, it's going in my book. Are you kidding me? I've got 20,000 pages of research, at least thousand pages of it is going in my book because what my book really needs is two sentences. What my book needs is two sentences to be authentic. But what Shanaz needs is retribution for spending 200 days on the research. I mean, I'll read books right now. And uh, I don't know, like right now I'm reading a book by JK Rowling, uh, Casual Vacancy. And there are like chapters I'm reading in it. And there's a lot about, oh, there's this drug was used and then this drug, well, she prescribed this, but then she prescribed this. And I'm going, JK Rowling, thank you very much. I know you've done your research. Can we move on? All this is you bragging to me that you've done your research. I understand you're JK Rowling, but I don't freaking care. I can see this research or maybe it's just my maybe I'm just crazy but when a book is research heavy I can see that author telling me I've done this research but it doesn't really move the story forward it doesn't help me with doesn't help my like or dislike of the character anymore see and you so you can also appreciate having been through the process of of research as a writer, because the other piece that, that I often talk to writers about is when is enough? When is it, you know, because I think you can also get that down that rabbit hole where you're just, and then to your point, you you are so excited about that research. You feel, you, you know, you, as a writer, you want, you use that great word, authentic, you know, what, how, and, and that really is the issue, isn't it? How, little do I need, I guess is how I think about it in terms of how little do I need so that I keep the momentum of the story going. But yes, there are all those pieces that you think, oh, this is the coolest thing. I, I, I would, people would love to know about that. And then you think, but it's probably not going to move the story forward. So I right. guess I have to put it away, but I, I want to share it. So yeah, I appreciate that you get that. And that's, and that is really a struggle. It definitely the whole, see, I'm, and I am somebody who I, Usually for me, I do the research. I'm not the best researcher in terms of, I don't start from the place of research and then have to cut myself off. What I'll usually do is, is just really want to get dig into the characters and the story. And unless it's a significant subject that's really got a lot to do with the story, I may just have a huge like XXX and I'll block out little spots where I'll come back and I'll fill those in if it's maybe setting details or textiles or food or whatever. But yes, I, I also, I, I talk to people and we all share that, that like, you know, at what point do you just say, okay, I've, I've done as much research. I feel as good about this and it's sort of confident about presenting an authentic sense of my story with this research as I can because you can, you can get bogged down in it for a very, very long time. And there's a lot right. out there. So, you know, and to the point of where you said, you could do all this research on sailing. And then I'm telling you that I tried to turn that handle and I couldn't, and that's not there in any manual. There is no manual that says you need so many pounds of force to turn this handle and a person who weight presses with this kind of repetition and can weight press 10 pounds or 20 pounds comfortably can do this. Otherwise, you know, or there is like a a tiny, I'm four foot 10 inches, a tiny four foot 10 inch woman who is about 120 pounds cannot turn this because she is freaking weak. There is nowhere it says that. No, right. Right. And it's that balance of 
there is physical experience and where you just know there are so many elements of it that just happen while you're sailing. When you're a sailor, I'm sure a sailor's looking at so many elements in their head immediately, but you can't learn that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and there was another example I was thinking of. Um, I once did some research on uh, scuba diving and I'd never, never been scuba diving, but I could not find anything about what it was like to, you know, to be in the suit under the water. What is that like in your, what is, is there silence? Can you, do you see the, again, one of those things where if I actually tried scuba diving, all of that would have been very apparent, but in terms of trying to find that on the internet and, and like your experience for your research, certainly I was able to talk to people, but you know, when you ask somebody, well, what is it like to scuba dive? They, they very much might give you the sort of the instructions like from a manual. Whereas as writers, we, we obviously think in terms of the sensory, the experience of putting our reader in the moment. And that isn't necessarily going to be in a manual. So I think that's a really great conference. It's a great topic to talk about in terms of the process. Right. You because, know? you know, I'll give you another example. You, you brought up scuba diving, right? I went scuba diving once in my life. And You're a hero. You've been to learn to sail. You've been, okay. Well, I tried I, why to, did well, I come to you for all of this? <laughs> why you did we have, know each other years ago? Well, if you have any dental questions, you know. <laughs> I'm your gal. Okay. I, I, you're, you think I'm kidding. I'm writing you. I'm, right I'm a dentist. I mean, I am a dentist. I'm a pediatric dentist. So if you have any questions about children and behavior, I'm your gal. Again, seriously. But okay. anyway, scuba diving. <laughs> like I'm like, you're like, Sorry, you're I like over there at the dentist. I told I you this was going to go where the conversation goes. And I'm here and I'm, I'm right here with you. Right and this is you. why, you know, this is how the podcast goes. And I want I it to it. be. I want this conversation to be unique and different from, I don't know how your other interviews go, but this is how ours goes. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Okay. I'm, I'm loving scuba it. diving. I went okay. scuba diving. You know, you're talking about what does it feel like? What is it like under the water? All of that. You probably can get pictures. You probably can get stuff about it. There's one thing you probably will also get, but not mentioned as much is the reason I haven't gone back scuba diving. I loved scuba diving. I loved being under the water so much. It was the best feeling in the whole world, but I won't do it again. And you're like, wait, you say you love it so much, but you won't do it again. The feeling of going from weightlessness when you're underwater and then trying to get out of the water with, uh, with your oxygen tanks be on your back. Again, it's all weight training. It's all about weight training because I am trying to climb up the ladder. I'm holding my hand on the ladder of the boat and they're like, okay, come on up. I can't lift myself up because think about it. This oxygen tank has been weightless for all this time. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the weight is so heavy. And I, that feeling of helplessness, was just, it's like, you cannot do this. You cannot get up on the boat. If, if you had gone scuba diving and your friends were still there, just looking at the fish and you're like, I'm tired. I'm going to go sit in the boat and just chill. You cannot do it. You have to wait for someone to come and get on the boat because I'm there and they're like, come on up. I'm like, I can't. They're like, come on. I'm like, I can't, it's too heavy. So the guy, uh, the guide, comes down the ladder, he grabs the back, my backpack of oxygen, and he physically pulls it up where it's not, he hasn't taken it off my shoulder, but where it's just a little bit above my shoulder. So my shoulder is not bearing the full weight of the oxygen. And that's when I could, with him holding it up, I could, and then I just, you know, the weight of oxygen. There's a title, the weight of oxygen. There's a title for a book. That's a wonderful title. That's a and I'm just I'm just sitting here thinking, based on that, that's such a great anecdote because that, okay, so as soon as you say that, 
again, right. That's not necessarily, unless you put yourself in that situation. Cause I just think about like, okay, you're writing that scene you're a writer and you're writing that scene and yes, you've done your research and okay. I, I, you know, you know, about the weightlessness, you know, about the science, all of that. And then you have this plucky heroine just grab onto the ladder and you know, yeah, exactly. That's Think about it. You yeah, know, here's Frankie. Happen. Think about Frankie. You know, she's going out sailing, right? And, you know, and then she's there scuba diving and she gets up and there's, uh, I forget his name. Gabe. Gabe. Yeah, Gabe's right there. And if you hadn't known this, you would make this this romantic scene of Frankie climbing up and Gabe looking at her bikini exactly. and all of this. Oh, beautiful, <laughs> romantic scene. Effortless. Just but, yeah, effortless. And yeah, and no. your readers would not know. Your readers who hadn't been scuba diving would be like, oh my gosh, Erica, that was the most romantic scene with Frankie and Gabe. Oh my gosh, when she climbed up that ladder after their scuba like dive. Like a feather on her back. Oh, it was so beautiful. But then imagine that Erica Montgomery's writing the scene now that she's talked to me. There's Frankie climbing up the ladder. And then, oh, I can't, I, she can't, she can't get, she can't do it. She can't do it. Which in a way informs would make the a scene. scene. It, I was just going to say, you would can make it still a work with scene. that, can't you? It's, you can it, work it, with it. Yes. Talk about an, a more authentic experience. But again, that's the sort of thing you really can't know. Right. You cannot really get a sense of from doing research online. And that's that's really the rub for so much of the work that you do in research as a writer now. It's very interesting. It's very, very interesting. I love, I, yeah, I, I, I love thinking about things like that because it, it does get into your, it, as it should. I mean, you should be mindful of this when you're writing and when you're right. researching. And that's, that's authentic. That's to your, to use your word again, you know, that's, that's creating an authentic experience and world building for, right. for the reader. But, but on the flip side, I hate to say that our readers are kind of dumb or what. I don't want to say that. I don't want to dumb down our readers. But if a reader has not experienced a lot of things, and a lot of people have told, you know, have been like, I just experienced things through a book. So then they're experiencing scuba diving and getting off a boat through a book. And then they go scuba diving themselves. Well, and then there's the, exactly you don't. I don't. I don't want anyone to have uh, the wrong impression of any of the. You're right. No pressure, right? No pressure. No, yeah. No pressure. So you know it's. But but that's. I admire you know the whole process of um, the research and it's a hard balance. It is. It absolutely is. It, that's the perfect word for it. Finding, and to your point earlier about like, you know, how much is just enough to, to really, and I think the same is true in setting. Um, and again, maybe that's an extension of research that you just, you know, you, the tendency is, okay, well, I really want to build this world right away for my readers. They're just, they're coming into the scene. So let me just take a couple paragraphs and I'll just, I've got these gorgeous descriptions. Oh, it's so beautiful. And I don't know about you as a reader, but when I see, I don't care how gorgeous the writing is and, you know, gorgeous writers out there. I just, after a couple lines, I just want to get into the scene. I just want to know who's there. What are they doing? And I I appreciate that the blossoms are, are like, you know, whatever. However, again, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not able to conjure up. They're very (laughs) scented and they're light pink and scented and there's a gentle breeze and it's a flutter of a petal and the butterfly just flitted around and you're like beautiful okay I got it right I got it I got it it's a beautiful scene now now what and and instead of like with the research you know you just kind of pepper those in the action you know and then they they resonate I think a lot more for the readers anyway but yes it's such a tendency isn't it we we write our words and we, we we create these this bank of knowledge from research and then we create these wonderful passages of setting and it's really a matter of making them all work together as opposed to seeing them as these separate elements that you kind of, you know, like you say, you jam them together and just throw them up in the air and they hope, no, there's much more of a kind of a symphony thing going on there, but, but yeah, it's, it's right. It, and I think that so much of that comes through, through drafting. I, I, there are writers who are so much more talented than I am that they can do that right out of the gate. I think they understand that, you know, they know how that works for me, I need to do many drafts and, and then I'll sort of say, okay, this, 
I don't need this. This is really bogging it down, or this is where I could put that, or we just don't want to lose the momentum of that. The pacing is so, it's so fragile. I guess I feel that way. Every time I read a book, I'm very mindful of how fragile, especially in this world, I feel like, especially where we are right now, I don't know about you, but my focus, even just eating a bowl of cereal is fractured because there's just, things are still very fragile. And I know we're, we're, you know, globally, people are feeling a lot more optimistic, not everywhere, but I'm still very mindful that I feel like we're still, things are still somewhat fragile. So I feel like when you're writing now, or when I'm writing, I feel like I want to be mindful. I don't know how to not be mindful of that with, with pacing and, and just kind of keep the reader in your head, the headspace you want them to be in and don't give them an opportunity to think, so what was the positivity rate today? No, 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 right, no come back. Right. Come back. Oh, wait, I'm reading a book. Wait, <laughs> exactly. I'm not there. I'm in 2012 or I'm in 1912 or whatever, you know? So, right. um, yeah, it's a different experience. And I hadn't thought about that until we started talking about that, but I think it's not just a different experience of, of writing in this time, but, but reading too, it, a book really has to it, you, you want, I want escape and, and maybe I've always wanted escape in my reading, but would you say that that's something you seek in general as a reader, or do you feel like it just depends on your mood at the time in terms of what you like to read or what you gravitate to? I gravitate towards different books. Like okay. I will switch things around. So your book was like a beach read. It was chill. It was nice. So then I'm like, okay, my next book is going to be not so chill, something intense and heavy. And, and then I'm like, why do I want this intense, heavy thing? Let me go back to something else. And then I'll be like, oh, you know what? I'm ready for wands and wizards and dragons and world building. Yay, let's do that. And then I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm ready for nonfiction. Let's just go with. Okay. So I keep changing my genres all the time as a reader. And uh, also being a podcaster and getting publicists sending me books all the time, I'm trying to get more discriminating, but generally I'll say, okay, fine. I mean, now I've started saying no a couple of times here and there, and I'm kind of like, oh my God, have I really gotten to that point where <laughs> people are sending me all these books you. and I just, too many books, too little time. And it's just like, ah. Oh! So, um, but I do enjoy it. I mean, and it's great when I get all these ARCs that, you know, I would get books that I would have never been exposed to. Like A Summer to Remember would not have been on my radar at all, at all. And I'll be very honest, like I haven't seen it. And then the shows up and it's like, hmm, this is intriguing. Okay, I'll read this book, sure. And I loved it. And you're like, yay, okay. Yes. Yay. So, you know, and it's like, oh, this is cute. Yay. And that's kind of the way my reading goes. I let a book surprise me. Mm, So I'm not the kind of person who's going to go, oh, what's the rating on this book? Oh, let's read all these reviews. Oh, Mm. what's this book about? okay, it's about this and this and this. I don't want this book. No, I'm kind of like, give me a book. I have no idea what the book is about. I don't know what the genre is. And it's like, oh, there's a wizard. It's a fantasy. Okay. Oh, it's a quest. Oh my gosh. Or, you know, like, or in your case, it's like, oh, it's a summary. Oh, wow. This family, this intrigue. Oh, yay, Hollywood. I have no idea. I, That's I, me. I love, I love that. And I love that you said, cause this is, a, again, I, I keep referencing all these um, jokes. My, my husband and I have about, about my movie love, but one of the, the other longstanding things is I'll always say, okay, I picked a movie we're going to watch tonight. And he'll say, Oh, what, what were the reviews? Like, I, I have no idea. I, I, I didn't even look. And it's just always the joke because right. I don't care. I know that I've read the synopsis. I saw something in that story that spoke to me, whatever the genre was, the reviews are irrelevant. Maybe at the end, I might, if I had a feeling one way or another, I'd be curious how other people responded to the film, but it's not going to change my desire to read that story or see that story on film. So I get that completely. It speaks to you. A story will speak to you, whether it's because you're in a certain headspace or just for whatever reason, if it speaks to you, that's all you need to know. And then you pick it up and certainly you 
you have that experience. But I love that you said that about the, the reviews, because I, I think very often we, we almost, as readers, too often, I think we kind of doubt ourselves like, oh, well, I know I have that instinct. I'm really intrigued, but I should probably make sure that other people support that intrigue. It's like, no, right. who cares? Read the book. You liked it. Something about it touched you even in an idea sense. So go through with that and see what you think. Yeah. And then you can write your review. And you have, you have books that people love and then the same book people hate. Exactly. There's like it's a book, so personal. I think it's on um, Barack Obama's reading, summer reading list. And I'm kind of like, no, thank you. I'm like, why? So some people love that book. And I'm like, no, do, no. Why is this on your list? You know, I'm like, Mr. President, why? I mean, you know, Mr. Expert, why is this on your list? And uh, yeah. So it's like, okay, well, we have different tastes then. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's so, I, and to that point, I think, you know, reading lists are always an interesting thing too, because yeah, it's like, it's so personal. Like what, right. what story touches you is so personal. And this idea that certainly, I know you, you probably like me, you recommend books to people that you liked and really moved you, but I'm always, I always try to be careful to, to say, you know, or maybe I just assume they, they know that I'm saying, I really love this book. Mm-hmm. I was really intrigued and moved, all of that. Give it a, pick it up and see if, and I would assume that they sort of pick it up and they look at it and they think, okay, I thought that's, that's interesting. As opposed to them just saying, well, well, she, re- she recommended it. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. And then even though I'm maybe midway through and thinking, this is not really working for me, but she said right. it was her, it was a great book, you know? I think, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is it is about instinct, isn't it? It's that that personal co- connection that you have with a story and not everybody's going to have the same one. And we don't all bring the same experiences to True. a story. So, you know, it will have, I always think that's interesting too, when, when you have characters that, whether as a writer or a reader, characters that are very distinctive and some people respond really favorably. Some people say, oh, that was a really likable character because I thought I really admired that character. And then some people will say, God, she was kind of a, she wasn't very likable. I didn't like her. And again, how much of that is just, we come from maybe, you know, we, we had similar, we knew people like that, or we know people like that and they really rub us the wrong way. Or, or maybe we know people like that. And we, we really admire, again, it's everybody's, everyone's bringing something different to the table so that there's, you never know what a reader's going to think. You just do your best to present the story that you feel most compelled to tell. Right, yes, you know, right, and hope that you hope that people enjoy it. Obviously, you want people to enjoy it and be moved, but that's why when I do, I find I'm, I'm always um, the older I get, and this is definitely something I always share with students is that I feel like I've gotten so much better in my the older I get in taking constructive criticism. I, I really value that. I value that in reviews, even if there are negative reviews. I have no problem with negative reviews in the sense that I I'm always so grateful when someone can very specifically say this is what didn't work about this book for me, right. and it, it it may not even impact necessarily how I write moving forward, but I value that very much as a writer. I like to know what works and what doesn't work. Right. And also as a reader, there are books I've read and I'm like, eh, I didn't like it as much. Then a while later, you're thinking about it and going, you know what? No, now that I think about it. I no, that book was really good. Mm. And you know, it, over yep. time you soak in yep. and you start looking at the structure of the story when you fresh off finish the story, you think a certain way. Mm-hmm. Then when you back away, it's different. At different times of your life, the same story hits you differently. For example, yes. like I said, I'm going from one genre to another to another. If I had been reading Beach Read, Beach Read, Beach Read, I'm like, oh, another Beach Read, okay, whatever. But if I'd have gone from like some other genre, I'm like, I'm really craving this beach read. And then I get that and I'm like, oh, so good. It was perfect, right? So then the review is again going to be different. Your frame of mind as a reader also changes based on the reader's own, like you said, experiences, even day to day, what happened? It's just, it's crazy. Readers are so fickle in a lot of ways. My brain is so fickle, even as a reader. That's how I feel, so- Oh, I agree. And it just, it's funny that it just occurred to me that, so I was thinking about how, you know, you're so right. I think it, it, you need time to digest a book. You do. I mean, you, it, and so I was thinking about how, and I, I heard of this, I've never actually been given the opportunity to do this, but I guess 
after Kindles, you can, something pops up where you can immediately review it. Like, I guess you finish yes, the last page yes. and then boom, it's like right there. And I totally appreciate the thinking behind that. But to your point, it's like, you know what? I don't, I need to sit with this for a little bit, which is why right. I think book clubs are, are really wonderful. And then book club discussions, because everyone reads a book. And even if you read the book like an hour before you meet, you through the process of talking about it, you're even kind of digesting it. You're mulling it over and you're thinking, you know, yeah, that character, that was a strange decision that they made. That was a right. strange choice. Why did they do that? So yeah, I I, I like that that point as well. And, and, and different time. people take different things from book clubs, you know, like people focus, like I will be in a book club. I mean, I have a book club and we're talking about something. They're like, oh, they were doing this. And I'm going, they were? How did I miss this? How, you know, I read it. Oh, How yeah, yeah. did I miss all of this? What was I doing? Was I sleeping? Am I pretending to say I read a book that I didn't read? No, it's just, it's like somewhere your brain just kind of go glosses over those words. You read it. You're like, okay, whatever, whatever. And then like you talked about the description, you know, of the Mm -hmm. petals and all of that. Maybe there was something in there that my brain just glossed over and, you know, boom. It's like, oh, that was significant. Oops, sorry. Or to your point, it's so true that like, not only do we come to a book with different experiences, but we're probably looking for different things in every book. You know, maybe that was a part of the story or a character that you weren't particularly focused on. And again, I think that is, you're, you're so right. That's what's great about, about book clubs is, is you have a dozen possibly different eyes on the same book. Right, And it's like, we all kind of bring, we review it together and we highlight the, the parts of it that really resonated with us. And it's maybe 12 different views of that or perspectives. And that's, that's pretty cool. And as a writer, I feel incredibly grateful when a book club reads one of my books, because it's like, that's really an honor to have that many people kind of digesting a book and mulling it over. It's, it's a pretty, it's a really cool thing. I, I, I think it's very cool. So yay. Let's get back to your book. Okay. If we must, I know I, I, I had some questions. You had some questions. What I had I was, some questions. Uh, no, I, well, I, I was going to, I was going to say to you that, and this is very much off the, the, the uh, subject, but Go I love it. that you are, I love that you are a dentist because that is, I am a huge dental phobe. I very recently went this is, went back to the dentist after four years, and I'm not even going to blame it on COVID. I know you're in St. Louis. It's probably too far from me. And you're pediatric, so so it wouldn't work anyway, but I would that you could be my dentist. It would, be, it would be a lot. I'd be a lot more comfortable. So <laughs> well, there are a lot so that's of- That's what I was going to say. I just feel there are a lot of great dentists, and I also feel it's not just dentistry with any field. You- you just click with certain people. Yeah. Okay. Two people may be saying the exact same thing, but the words they use and the way they say it is different. And at all, at some point you just click with them. Same thing with readers. You just click with certain readers and with some readers, you just won't. And that's just the nature of the beast. So there you will find a dentist that you will, you'll just meet her and you'll be like, Oh my gosh. This is where I belong. I got it. I'm here. I'm I'm ready. I'm going every six months. It's, I actually like the dentist. Why did I not like the dentist before? You know, it, it can happen. I mean, it's just a it's just a matter of who you click with. And and again, not everyone likes me. People look at me. They're like, Oh my gosh, Shnaz. Uh 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 no, she is out there. She's crazy. You know, someone wants just this quieter me, and which is harder for me to be that. But you know. Yeah, it's, but anyway, it's I wanna, very individual, very individual, very individual. Um, tell me about this whole, not just for a summer to remember, but in general, your journey as a writer, like how did, you know, the first time you ever published, how did you find an agent? What was all of that like? So I've been, I've been writing for, for a very long time and writing specifically to, to publish. So when I, I started sending out in the, in the, the grand old days, when I was first in college, I started sending out these historical romances. So like real genre romance, not, not Regency. They were, they were sort of, I guess they, they were present day. And then I had like this whole like Viking romance Ooh. series. And, 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 the, <laughs> and, the, and let me tell you, 
let me tell you, they were so the the uh, the editors who were, and this was again the old, wonderful old days where you could you would su submit unsolicited manuscripts, and they were so kind, and they were you know I have stacks of these hand typed rejection letters. And you, sometimes they might even say, you know, this part didn't work. And, oh, that was like, that was, that was gold. It's like, okay, right. I have something I can work off of here. Right. Um, so I started doing that. And then I moved into writing, trying to write science fiction and then writing horror. And I was writing all of these different genres, but I was, oh, the, the thread that always seemed to be common with them was the interpersonal relationships. And I think that was until I really identified that as sort of the, the, the character element and realized it's women's fiction to, to kind of right. find a genre and find a, a, a niche. It, I realized, okay, it's women's fiction. And by that point, I probably sent out uh, or rather completed like 15 full manuscripts, submitted them and kept submitting them. And I've had this, my uh, wonderful agent, Rebecca Gradinger, has, uh, she and I've been together for over 10 years, I guess now. Uh -huh. And um, and I feel you know very fortunate for that. And, and um, as I said, I've been once that we sold to um, St. Martin's and I um, connected with my editor there who was, and, and they have a, a wonderful team. I mean, it was, you talk about how you click, you know, what, right. that is such a, and again, I feel so grateful to have had the opportunity to click with the people in, in the industry that I have, but, but so much of that is a part of the, you know, the, the chemistry of that experience, but there was a lot, there was to, to get back to the kind of the, the process. I, I always say that I had a lot of different jobs over the years, but writing was always the one that I really probably put, not probably, I, I definitely put the most effort into and, you know, just writing at night or writing. Uh, whenever, whenever I had time and just getting a lot of, a lot of rejections. And, and in, in those old days before the era of the uh, email queries where, you know, you, you send that query. I mean, it was the, the days of like, you know, you, you package up that, you write out the type out the letters, you have to include the self-addressed stamped envelopes and uh, you'd wait for like, you know, six weeks two months, three months, you go to the mailbox. And then, so it was a, it, in terms of the timing, I think I had a lot more patience. I wouldn't have thought I did, but I think you had to that nowadays. It's amazing. You can send out any queries at once and get a response right, right away, or, or maybe you just, you won't, but uh, it's a, it's, it's a very different world. So I feel like I've seen, you know, if I started when I was 20 or 21, um, it's been, been many years and the technology has changed and certainly the, the industry has changed. The, the whole bringing of, uh, about of social media, the, the idea that, that social media does play such an important role in writers being able to reach out to readers and readers to writers and, and writers to writers and readers to readers. And obviously everybody, everybody benefits, but certainly I would say that Twitter especially was a wonderful place when I first started querying in terms of, and later on in terms of just making connections with other writers and, and building that community and building that sense of community. And so it's, it's a, I know social media has, you know, the, the, there, there are goods and pros and cons to it, obviously like anything, but for me, and I always say to writers who ask, you know, what, what's a great way to kind of get started with that? Do, do I need a platform? I really do think that social media is a great way to build community with other, with other writers at the very least. And, and certainly um, I know agents and editors are online too and on social media. So maybe that's a, that, that's, that can be a good way to, to at least sort of see what, what editors and agents are looking for before querying and, and all of that. But I, I, I feel very fortunate to have seen <laughs> seeing the the evolution of the of the industry it's who knows and, and then who knows where it's going to go next and certainly too there's there you know there there are ebooks and there's it's a very it's it's constantly changing but i'm just so thrilled that i'm not not thrilled about anything about covid obviously but it does seem that people turn to books during that and i hope that stays i hope i hope people continue to find refuge and escape in books it's, it's a, it's a good place to be. So I'm glad that that's, that's maybe been the only, you know, that, and we've all been a lot more connected in terms of having to, I don't know, would you say that you feel like, even though we weren't necessarily able to be physically close to our loved ones at that from, you know, during that time that I feel like I, I connected ironically with a lot of people I hadn't seen for a long time 
because of COVID. And, and then it has me thinking like, well, why didn't we do these Zoom things sooner? Sooner. Well, exactly. Why were we waiting for this, this horrible pandemic? So, right. Um, again, kind of, I just went off, I just went off on a, a tangent there. Well, I apologize. That's, that's totally, that's, totally I, fine. You know, we're coming to a close. So you talked about the books that you just kind of have refuge with. So give me your top five favorite books of all time that you just love. Probably my favorite book is Life of Pi. Okay. And I think it's because that, and, and maybe this, this is indicative of sort of what, how I think of story, but I just, that, that is a story that, and certainly reading it again and having read it that, you know, it's, it's like, I will never have that same experience of reading it that first time. And I promise no, no spoilers, but it's so powerful. And it's so, I think I was just not even remotely aware of, of where it was going and so lost in the beauty of it. And um, so that, that would be my, that, that is certainly my most favorite book of all time. Like you, I, I like, I do like different genres. So I don't think I have, like, I love medical thrillers. I love, I do love beach reads. I love, um, I just finished um, The Vanishing Point by Elizabeth Brundage which I thought was, was really beautifully done. Um, and I love Alice Hoffman. I think I, I love, I don't read a lot of magical realism. I read her a lot because I just, I sort of, I love the way that she builds love and romance into her, into her worlds. It's, it always feels very organic to me and very earthy. And, and um, there's just something about her, her writing that, that I, that I am very drawn to. So in terms of, yeah, I, See, I was, th- I was feeling so good because I was like, I'm going to have, I'm going to have an answer to that question. I'm going to have that one book that I, and then, then you go and ask for four more and I'm, I'm just so oh, it's fine. I mean, you know, here's the thing. If I ask for one book, most authors look at me like, oh, when I even ask for five, they go, oh, oh but I, I, I can't. So that's why I'm, I'm like, okay, okay. five and. You give me one and it's perfect. It's perfect. One is perfect, you know, and it's it's totally fine. So um, how would you describe your book in three words or less? Three words or less. <laughs> three words or less. Okay, I love it. I love it. Escapist, romantic, poignant. Escapist, romantic, poignant. Ooh, I like it. I like it. How did I do? I, I, I like, that's a great question. That's such a great question because it's so, I, I love, I, I should, I'm going to keep thinking on that because I think so often everyone's like, well, what is this about? Give me, tell me what, what my heart's going to feel. Right. How I'm going to, when I close that book, I close that last page, am I, what, where, what am I going to be thinking and feeling? So I love that question. Yeah. I think I stole okay. it from, I don't know where I stole it from. <laughs> it's okay. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to credit you for it. Well, it's thank you. Thank question. you. Yeah. It's like, I'll, I'll look it's at yours. people's, you know, different questions and, I'll be like, oh, I'm going to add this question in and I just throw it in or, you know, if or we'll just have a conversation like this and see where it goes. We just go where it goes, right? Do you have any questions for me, my dear? uh, Anything? I have had, I have no questions. I have a statement, which is this has been so fabulous. You are so lovely. This was so much fun. And I'm back. So check out Erica Montgomery's book, A Summer to Remember. It's a perfect beach read. If you love just chill romance, family drama, the little bit of intrigue and Hollywood, this is the book for you. Oh, good Lord, time went away from me. I was going to say my next episode is going to be A Casual Vacancy by J.K. Rowling, but that's not true. Our next episode should be coming out tomorrow or maybe day after because I completely forgot. But it's month in review. We're at the end of July. So that's going to be the next episode. And then I'll do a casual vacancy, which was our book club. And our next book club is my real name is Hannah. So you guys have some episodes coming up and I have my work cut out for me and that's all I have for this episode. Before I go, if you loved this episode or any of my previous episodes, please take a moment to write me a review on Apple Podcasts. Please share this podcast with your family and friends and through your social media channels. 
Follow me on Facebook and Instagram on Living a Life Through Books. I'm also on Clubhouse. Look me up by name. I'm on uh, TikTok. My tag is at Dr. Shnaz Ahmed. But I think the page is called Living a Life Through Books. I'm still new to TikTok and still navigating the waters there. My tag on Swell is at Bookish Podcast. It's a different kind of audio app, but it's still a good way to reach me. You can reach me through email. My address is livingalifethroughbooks at gmail.com. My website is shanazahmed.com. That is S-H-A-H-N-A-Z-A-H-M-E-D.com. The opening and closing music to this and all my previous episodes was composed by my husband, Brad Slavik. I'm Dr. Shanaz Ahmed with Living a Life Through Books, signing off. Remember to water the seeds within you. It's time. <laughs>